2 Corinthians chapter 4. We thought maybe we would look in chapter 3 as we started, but I feel like maybe chapter 4 is where we need to look. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have received we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We'll stop there. I don't know that we'll ever cover that. I, I guess I've referred to these verses, no, no telling how many times, but I don't know that I've ever, ever looked at these verses on their own as a text. But to set things and you know as as I get older I feel and and realize how important the the context of where this is at is as this this was a letter it wasn't chapters Paul wrote this is a letter it all goes together sometimes you wish you could just cover it all at one time there's no way we're able to do that but in chapter 3 he's been talking about this ministry of the gospel and in verse number 4 of chapter 3, Such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So Paul's saying that God and that sufficiency, that's the ability to be enabled of God. Paul says, it's not my ability that I'm a preacher, but God's, God's made me an apostle of Jesus Christ, and, and He's enabled me to be able to preach this gospel, which he's going to go into the next several verses, comparing it to the law of Moses, and how that God revealed the law to Moses, and how glorious that that was, really, as God came down on the mountain in such a presence that... All of the people feared and quaked at His voice and at the presence of God and, and at the thundering and the, the sound of the trumpet and all of these things. And, and they said to Moses, we, we don't want God to speak to us like this anymore. We don't want to see God's glory to be manifested like this, but let God speak to you and you speak to us. How glorious that that giving of the law was. But the law was, the law was nothing but death. It was, it was commandments that could not be kept by man. Not that the law was evil. If I could keep the law, if I could live by the law, I could have eternal life through the law. But see, our flesh is weak. We're not able to keep the commandments. And I don't believe that there's anybody, uh, anybody here that would be so foolish as to say, I can keep those commandments. Uh, we're so far below the righteousness that the law of God requires. I believe we, like Paul, can realize that the letter killeth. If I'm going to stand before God and be judged by the law and what I've done, I am a dead man. I am waiting on the day that God... Because I don't have a prayer. I don't have a chance. There's not... Uh, you know, they, they, I heard a fella say one time, to win the lottery, you've got as much of a chance of winning with a ticket as you do of getting bit by a shark on dry land. You know that, but there is a chance there. It's a very, very slim chance, but there's a chance of winning that's there. Well, if, if we're going to stand before God now 
and we're going to be judged by our works and the law, then we're not. There is no chance that we're going to be acceptable or approved of God. But how glorious was the manifestation and the giving of the law to Moses? Well, Paul says the the gospel so far exceeds the glory of the law that it appears that the law has no glory at all. He says, this is verse 9 of chapter 3, If the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by the reason of the glory that excelleth. And I believe here's your picture. If if we go out at 1 o'clock today and there's no clouds and the sun's directly overhead, and I've got a little flashlight on my car keys. If I turn that on, I'm not going to even see the beam of light hit the ground because the light of the sun is so far greater and so far more powerful, it makes that appear as nothing. Even though there's light coming out of it, in comparison to the light that's present, it's, it's of no value and unnoticeable. That's the way the law is to the gospel. When you lay the gospel beside the law, how much more glorious is it now? Here's the Old Testament where I've got no chance of being accepted. And here is the New Testament that the Lord Jesus has given His life as a ransom for my sins to redeem me out of my condemnation under the law and make me to be acceptable unto God. There is now, through Jesus, a way for me to be accepted with God. Now when you compare those two, one, I've got no hope whatsoever, no chance of being accepted with God. And now in Jesus, God has made a way for me to be accepted. Not that I've done something now that, well now since I've done this and since I've believed and since I've repented and I'm doing better. Absolutely not. It's since God has given His Son and God has brought us to Him and God has convinced us of the gospel and God's made new creatures out of us we're acceptable with Him. A work that God's done. How glorious is that? And so this law now, as this law was given, Paul says in the latter portion of this chapter 3, that the law was given and they couldn't look to the end of it. They couldn't see. You know, even as Moses stood there and he, he read that law to them, and they said, every word you've said will do. Now, how far from the truth were those words? You know what the problem was? He says here, their their face was veiled and they couldn't see what God was saying. This law was not for me to do and get righteousness. This law was to make me realize how unable that I really was and cause me to look to a sacrifice that would make me to be acceptable. But as the law was reading, man thinks he's able to do it. And that's the way we are today. As we even think about the law or the commandments of God, man thinks, well, I've kept most of them and I've kept more of them than most people have and surely I'm going to be accepted to God. Now, where does that kind of thinking come from? That is, that's certainly not biblical. That's the farthest thing from what the Bible teaches that could be. It's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. No, the problem is they're they're veiled. Their eyes, just as Moses and the glory of God shone off of his face, and he had to put a veil over his face so that the people couldn't see the glory that shone off of Moses. Well, there's a veil on their hearts That's blinded them to the law. But notice this now in the last of chapter 3, and we'll get where we're going. We started a little early, so we've got some time. Just bear with me. Let's take our time. I'd like for us to understand this scripture. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So he says, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So what's he talking about? The, 
the hearts of the Jewish people, even as, as the laws being read, they think and they believe and they're looking to the fact that, well, we're able to do this. But when their heart turns to the Lord, the Lord's going to take away that veil. So now if, if you read that that way, then what you're going to come to the conclusion of is, well, they're going to have to turn to the Lord before the veil is taken away. But I say this, did, did that happen to anybody here? Anybody under the sound of, that is genuinely saved. Did you turn to God first and then He let you look? No, the, the veil was taken off first. The Lord let me see my guilt. He let me see the law. And then after God took the veil off and, and I could see, then my heart turned to the Lord because I had no hope otherwise. But listen to the next verse. The veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What's, where, where did that even come from? He doesn't mention the spirit. As a matter of fact, if you look in chapter 3 to the first place, that the Spirit of God is mentioned, it's in verse 3. And the Spirit is not mentioned again all the way down here to verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So what's he talking about? Where did that come from? Well, the Spirit of God had given to Paul this ministry of the gospel. The Spirit of God enabled Paul to preach the gospel. The Spirit of God illuminated Paul to the meaning of the gospel and the meaning of the law. And as Paul preached, the Spirit of God worked in people's hearts to open their eyes and their understanding to what was being preached. So it's the Spirit of God then that takes away this veil that's over the eyes of man. The Spirit of the Lord, and it's the Lord that is that Spirit. Because they're one. They're three in essence. Three in person and one in essence. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so while the Spirit's ministering, really that's God that's ministering to our hearts through the person of the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there's liberty. You know what the Holy Ghost does? It frees me from the bondage not of chains or of handcuffs, although he's able to do that, but he's freeing me from the bondage of deception, lies, and deceit. Because, see, the devil, he didn't have me bound with a rope or with chains or with shackles, but the Lord had me, the devil had me bound with a lie. I was bound up believing that that was untrue. But as the Spirit of God came, there was liberty now. I was freed from the lie and the deception of the devil that I could see and realize and understand the truth. And so, uh, verse 18 now, We all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So he says here, but we all. Now is he talking about everybody on the face of the earth? See, there's people that take that that way, even though he's just said that there's people that's still veiled. There's obviously people that's unable to see the end. You know who he's talking about here? All of those that are in Christ for salvation. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So who are these that are seeing? It's those that the Spirit of God has set at liberty, and only those. And so we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. I'm looking even at the reflection of the glory of the Lord. Just as Moses shone from being in the presence of God. He was reflecting the glory of God. We'll hear the Word, the Spirit that ministers to our hearts. We're looking at the very image of God. And the Holy Ghost is working now in those that are saved. And He's 
transforming our lives and conforming us more and more into the image of the Son of God. And so he comes to chapter 4. So Paul's been given, therefore seeing we have this ministry, Paul's been given a glorious ministry, and this ministry is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A gospel that frees man from the bondage of sin, from the deception of the devil, and brings them to acceptance with God in Jesus Christ. He's been given this. God God done the work of salvation. God gave His Son Jesus. God sent back the Spirit. God opened our eyes. God saved Paul the Apostle. God gave him this ministry. In 1 Timothy chapter number 15, you can read this about Paul. This is Paul's testimony. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me Jesus Christ might shew forth uh, all long suffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Paul says, I was saved. Paul was not saved because he was doing good with the law. Paul was not saved because he uh, got baptized by John the Baptist or one of the disciples. Paul was saved because God shewed his soul mercy. That word mercy over and over again, it's compassion. It's not that it's deserved. It's not that it's been earned. But God has given compassion to the soul of the Apostle Paul that he could be saved. And if anybody today is saved and in Jesus Christ, it's only because of the compassion of Almighty God. Nobody's done anything to earn or deserve that. So Paul was saved by mercy. In Ephesians chapter 3, again, the testimony of the man Paul the Apostle. I would quote it, but there's no way I can quote it right. Ephesians 3 verse 7, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me, by the effectual working of His power. Notice this verse, at who's doing everything. What's Paul doing in this verse? Paul was made. Paul didn't make himself. Paul says, I was made. Almighty God made Paul to be a minister of the gospel according to the gift, the gratuity, the graciousness. Again, unwarranted, and undeserved. Paul wasn't made a minister because he sat under Gamal. He wasn't made a minister because he sat down and studied his Bible more than everybody else. He wasn't made a minister because he was somehow more intelligent than everybody. But God gave him this and it was a gift, a gratuity, a graciousness, unmerited gift of God to Paul of the grace of God given unto me. So Paul was given the gift by the grace of God, by the effectual working of His power. So this was God that done all this in Paul the Apostle. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul says, of all the people that God could have called to do this work, I'm indeed the least of those. I'm the least deserving. I'm the least fit. I'm the least right. But God has made him to be this. See, Paul received this ministry. It was given to him by God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, that uh, verse 10, By the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. So Paul then, the man, Paul the apostle, he was saved because God was compassionate towards him. And God gave him that that he did not deserve by his works. He was made to be a minister of the gospel 
because God was compassionate and gave him that gift that he did not earn nor deserve. And Paul's labor and his work, well, at least Paul could say that after God made him a minister, he done all of this good work and all of this preaching, and it was him that done it. But even after he's done all that work, he says, I'm able to do that by the grace of God that was given to me. So the ministry then, it's all of God and all of the glory of this goes to God. As we have received mercy, we faint not. So that word means to be weak. Paul says, I'm not giving up. I'm not slowing down and I'm not going to quit. But we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. So hidden things, those things that are in secret, that's shameful. So you know, most people, they're, they're fine with sin as long as it's not found out. I mean, we can, we can carry on in sin so long as the church or the wife or as long as the preacher, as long as mom and daddy, as long as people don't find out about our sin, there's nothing wrong with it. That's, that's the very nature of the flesh of man. And you see it over and over again. People are only sorry... They're not sorry that we were doing it because they carried on just fine until the moment they were caught. People are sorry they get caught. There's no real sorrow for the sin because if we hadn't got caught, we would have happily went on in it. See, a lot lot of things you see is it's a sham and it's a lie. It's a put on and it's an act. But in them that are saved now, here's Paul the Apostle and and he's renouncing, he's disowning even the the hidden things. Those things that are not seen. Those things of dishonesty that that is Paul's even alone, by himself. And the devil says, well, you can take part in this. Paul says, I'm even renouncing the very hidden things of dishonesty. And that desire now, that's in people that are saved. It's not just eye service as men pleasers. In people that are saved, it's deeper than what the church or the preacher thinks. It's deeper than what the family thinks because they're indwelled by the Spirit of God. And they're accountable not just to man or to the the law or to the church, but they're accountable unto God their own self. And whether you know about it or not, God can break my soul over sin. Whether you know of it, whether anybody ever finds out of it or not, I'm still accountable unto God and God convicts me and brings me to Him. So as the devil tells saved people, well, nobody will know. Still in the heart, though that may be true, in the heart there's conviction. That's from the indwelling Holy Ghost of God that even hidden things of dishonesty... We want to renounce. Paul says we've renounced them. Not walking in craftiness, subtility. That's the same word, you see, used for the devil. You know what the devil was? He was subtle. That's craftiness, skill, cunning. The devil was crafty. And, you know, this is how crafty the devil was. The devil said, "I'll, I'll never go to Adam. He recognized that he couldn't go to Adam and get him to eat by lying to him. He, because God had spoken directly to Adam, Adam knew better than to listen to the serpent. But the devil said, I can get him to eat. I'll go to that woman and I'll lie to her and I'll twist her mind up and Adam will eat because she eats. See how cunning that he is. He can get to you. Well, he ain't going to get to me this way. He's subtle and cunning. Well, Paul here says, we're not, we, we've, uh, we're not walking in craftiness. I'm not walking in subtility. And why would you be subtle now? To gain an advantage for me. I'm not walking to try to deceive people or to make people like me. You know what you could do? I say especially if, if you're a pastor 
that's at a church often and you know the people and you know where they are and you know the battle that they're in, you know what they face, you could take the Word of God and you could say, well, I'm going to fashion me a message that'll be cunning and skillful because I know what's going on and I'll make them come to God and it'll make me look good because I got them to come. I'll fashion me a message that'll encourage somebody That'll, uh, and you see, this is not done by the leadership of the Spirit. This is subtility. And what they're doing is, as Absalom done, they're trying to steal the hearts and affections of the people from God Himself so that the church then, and people that make professions and are saved, and I believe, I believe if you'd think for a minute, you've seen this happen. People come... They make professions. They say they're saved. The church is booming. But really it's not God that they're looking to. It's the man that they're looking to. Because he with craftiness and cunning, he's not preached them the gospel and they're not established in the Word of God, but they're established on his cunningness and skill in speaking. Paul says, I'm not walking in craftiness nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. So deceitfully means to adulterate. We're not adulterating the Word of God. I believe you could see this in the Pharisees. The disciples were eating corn out of the field. They hadn't washed their hands. They hadn't washed the corn. And they said to Jesus, why do your disciples eat and their hands are not washed? See, that was, that was tradition. That Jews, you don't eat with unwashing hands. That's unclean. And Jesus said, Why do you transgress the commandments of God with the traditions and teachings of men? Do you think that goes on? You think there's folks that handle the Word of God deceitfully, they adulterate it with opinions, with thoughts, with traditions. I'm telling you the truth now. We're living in a day where churches are so established in a tradition or in a traditional thought that the Word of God will be outright rejected because it does not go along with the way that mom and daddy thought or the way I've always thought. It's the truth. But you know, the the truth is, if the Word of God says it, I ought to come to what the Word of God says. But you know what there are? There's men that want to handle it deceitfully. We want to make it say what we want it to say. We want to frame it up And we want to adulterate the Word of God. And, you know, we're going to preach this, but we're going to throw in a little bit of our opinion as well. That's what the Pharisees did. And you know what they wound up with? They wound up with doctrines and teachings that were contrary to the Word of God. Now that's present over and over and over again. And the shame of it is, People's established on doctrines and commandments of men and reject the Word of God. If you've ever had much conversation with folks, you've probably heard, well, I realize that, but I don't believe it like that. And you know how you can get that answer? Just quote them a verse. Well, I don't believe it like that. That's not the way I was taught. That's not what the preacher says. Well, friends, if it's, if it's directly out of the Word of God, it don't matter what the preacher said or what the deacons voted on or what uh, the church voted on a hundred years ago. If it's contrary to the Word of God, it is adulterating the message of the truth. Paul says we're not adulterating the truth, but by manifestation of the truth. You know what Paul's desire was? that the true message of the Word of God be manifested, be expressed. Boy, if that could be a desire today in the hearts of a multitude of people, if, if when I, and God help, when I get up here, my sole desire is not that I've got a catchy saying that catches your attention in your mind, not that I've got a little thought 
that might draw you in and make you look at how smart I am. But if my number one desire would be, God, what are you saying in this scripture? And God, help me to rightly divide that scripture and manifest what you've said. If that could be our desire, we could see a lot more built on the foundation of God and not on man. Paul says, my desire as I preach is to manifest the truth and commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, I'm not giving any man a reason or a purpose to cast my preaching aside. Maybe it's little thought of today, but the truth is now, if I am actively living in rebellion to the Word of God and you know it, what are you going to think when you see me walk in this morning? Even though I may get up and, and preach you the truth, yet because of what you know of me, my words and my preaching are cast out already before I ever start. Paul said in Romans, he was talking about the Jews that they taught the law and yet they went out and broke the law in their everyday life. He said, you're given cause for the Gentiles to blaspheme the name of God. So you see, my life then, how I live and how I behave myself in the world, it can bring a reproach on the preaching of the gospel on the church of God, and even on the name and the reputation of God Himself in the world. That's what the prophet told David when David had sinned. You've given the enemies reason to blaspheme. They're not as good as they think they are, are they? That God must not be as holy as they say that He is because look at what their leader has done. Paul says, I'm commending myself to every man's conscience. My life is open and observable to everyone. And what I preach is open and observable to everyone. Is that not the way that it ought to be? Now that's what Paul is doing. Look at his ministry now. And you know, even as I think about Paul, is there anybody that as this is written here, that you could say was any more given to the ministry of the preaching of the gospel. I believe every word of this, I believe he had renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. I believe he was given to study the word of God. I believe his chief desire in everything that he done was that the cross of Jesus Christ be preached and the truth be manifested. And if anybody now done what they needed to do, I believe Paul done it, don't you? But you know, as Paul would preach, there was a multitude that didn't believe. Now how could that be? But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Paul had been given a ministry from God Paul was enabled by God to preach. Paul had labored to preach only the truth and live in a manner that would not reproach the truth. And yet, when he preached, there was a multitude that the gospel was hidden to. That word means covered up. And it goes right back to the chapter before of those Jews that as the law was being read, there was a veil over their heart and they could not look to the end of what was being written. They just couldn't see it. So Paul's laboring to manifest the truth of God. And you know in the gospel, how plain is the word of God opened up? It's not hidden in parables or in types and shadows anymore. But Jesus Christ came from God the Father gave his life for sins, that man who is sinful could be redeemed and escape the judgment. That's so easy. And I don't mean easy in the sense of being saved, but the truth, that's so easy to understand that a wayfaring fool couldn't err therein. But you know that message is hid. 
not in the sense of Jesus died. I, I realize everybody believes Jesus died. I realize that. But you know what's hidden? This work of salvation that makes new creatures in Christ Jesus. That this work is more than a profession of words and a baptism in the water and a membership at the church and some good works. But this salvation is a work and product of God that changes a man, not changes the way I talk with my mouth alone, but God changes a man on the inside and that God dwells in and with him. You know, that's hidden to a multitude. Well, I believe in Jesus and I've done pretty good, but you know, the the fact of the matter that salvation is not believing and doing pretty good. It's Christ in you, the very hope of glory the earnest of the Spirit, the pledge of God for salvation is that God dwells in you by the Spirit. And you can preach that till you're blue in the face. You can say a profession isn't good enough. You can say if, if your life isn't transformed by the work of God, what you've got isn't sufficient. You can say that till you're blue in the face. And people sit and say, I'm good enough. My belief's good enough. I'm I'm right the way I am. How can that be? There's got to be a veil, doesn't there? They cannot see what you're saying. Greg just went over the 13th chapter of Matthew here in Bible school. We can see the, the picture. You can see the dough and the You can see the saran wrap over the top of the bowl. And you can see as that warms and as the yeast and the sugar's coming together and working, you can see it rising and pushing the top of the saran wrap up, can't you? You can see the leaven taking over the entire lump. But when you start talking about that's what the kingdom of God is, that God is planted inside and God takes over every facet of this life, boy, that's hid. We, we just don't see a salvation that takes over everything that we've got. What's the problem? Why, can that, why can't that be seen? It's because it's hidden. Now, how is it hidden? It's not God that's hiding. Would you agree with that? It's not Paul that's hiding. Paul's not speaking in riddles or in puzzles. And God forbid we... Do our best not to. But to speak as plain and as easily understood as could be said. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, that are perishing. That's what that word lost means. If if you were to look back, you could see it uh, in chapter 2, verse number 15, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. That word perish there, it's the same Greek word here that's translated as lost. So you know who can't see it? People that are perishing can't see it. Because as we've already quoted, Jesus told Nicodemus, "If except you be born again. The only way Nicodemus that you can even see what the kingdom of God is, is that you would be born again. You can't see it without a new birth, a birth from above. That's what born again means there, literally. So there must be a a work of God before the kingdom of God is even seeable to man. So who is it that can't see? It's those that have never been born again. Why can't they see? You ever said that? I've said it. I I believe everybody, everybody that's saved and has dear ones that are in rebellion to God, I believe we've said it one time at least. Why? Why can't they see it? Why don't they come to it? He's going to tell us why people can't see it and why that they don't come to it. 
in whom. So who are we talking about? In whom. This is verse 4. We're talking about them that are lost. Who the gospel, the message of the salvation of Jesus is hidden to. In them, the God of this world. So who is that? Jesus called him the prince of this world. Paul in Ephesians calls him the prince of the power of the air. In Revelation, he's the dragon, that old serpent, the devil. So the devil's working as well. Who's he working in? Well, here, he's working in them that are lost. The God of this world hath blinded to make blind or obscure. And what's he blinded? Not the eyes, but he's blinded their minds, their intellect, their perception, or their purpose. So what the devil's got blinded now is the thinking of man. How is that blinded? With lies. You see that? You see how the devil killed Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden? He lied to them, and they got began to be bound by that lie, and sin entered, and they died from it. And from the very beginning... He was a murderer and a liar and the father of it. So the the devil from the beginning now has been spreading lies and deceit to man. And with lies, he's blinded the minds of man. Man in his mind believes with all of his nature that he is right and acceptable unto God. Man believes that he's been saved even though there's no change of life whatsoever. There is no dedication to God or to God's house. There's no inward desire to please God. There's no conviction in the heart of sin or when I go away from God. There's no testimony of the Spirit to glorify His name. There is absolutely zero evidence of a work in the heart from God Himself. And yet people think that they're saved. How can they think that? Because the devil has blinded their intellect. And even with sound logic and reasoning, they can't see it. You can preach the parables to them that are honest to God. They're absolutely beautiful parables. I mean, I can see it. In those parables, that that parable of the leaven, that's something else. I can see it taking it over. You can see it. And what's happening is the entire lump is being changed. You don't think it's changed? You bake one without and you bake one with and see if there's not a difference. Boy, I tell you, it's, it's not just something that's hidden either. You can see the difference. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's something when, when God puts His kingdom within a man... That man is changed inside and from that day forward God's continuing a work making them more like God. But people say, well the kingdom entered into me 30 years ago and the dough's not risen a lick. What would you think if you leavened the bowl and you come back in an hour and it's the exact same size as it was before. You would look at that. I know exactly what you'd think. You'd look at that and say, because it's not changed any on the outside, what I put in it must have been dead. Wouldn't you say that? Well, what about our lives? Could we not look at our lives and see that there's been no change and no work of God, and say, you know, what I got 30 years ago, that must have not been the kingdom of God. That's just sound thinking. That's logical thinking. But people can't see, because the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. It's those that remain in unbelief without Christian faith that are blinded. So who's the only ones that see? Who are the ones that see? 
those that believe, those that are not lost, those that the God of this world doesn't have them blinded. Would you agree with that? Everybody that's lost and that is living in unbelief right now, they are blinded by the devil. Well, how can we get them to see? Look what Paul's done. Paul's renounced hidden things of dishonesty. Paul's not handling the Word of God craftily. He's not adulterating the doctrines of God. He's walking openly for everybody to see, and he's laboring that the truth of God go out. Now, if there was, in my thinking, if anybody of themselves could take the Old Testament and preach Jesus Christ, Him crucified and resurrected for the salvation of men, Paul the Apostle was the man that could do that. And yet Paul preaches and it's not believed. It's not a work of man to open the eyes of them that are lost. Let's finish this verse and then we'll look in a place or two. Lest, so he's blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest, in order that not, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, I I believe you can easily agree with this, that whatever God does, the devil is opposite and adverse to it. Anything God sets forth to do, the devil's there to oppose. Wouldn't you say that's true? What the church would do, the devil is there to oppose. Well, we've got this glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This glorious, I mean a message... Could there be any better news than that you're in danger of eternal judgment and destruction and God has laid on Jesus the penalty for our sins that we could be freed? Could there be any better message? Not that I have to climb a mountain to get it, but God's completed the work and delivers it to us through preaching. And yet, people's minds are blinded in order to prevent the light of this message from reaching them. And so people, people are set in the house of God, service after service after service, and they set under the light of the preaching. When the gospel is preached, the light is on. You know what's happening? As Paul preached the gospel, let's just use Paul, don't, don't even think about me. As Paul preached the gospel, the light of the glorious salvation of God was being manifested and revealed. Paul was doing everything in his power by the grace of God given unto him to take the cover off of what the Lord Jesus had done and the salvation that God had appointed for man. The light was being shined and the preaching was being done. The good news was going out and it was being heard in the ears of man. And yet, they're blinded. And they set... I don't know if you've ever been around a blind person. I I worked with two at one time in my life. And one you could take outside and she could see if she looked directly at the sun, she could see a faint amount of light. The other couldn't see anything. But you know, to to take either one of them out in the backyard and say, do you see that deer? There's, There's no way. They can't do that. It is not physically possible for them in the state that they're in to be able to do that. Well, you know, we can sit here and I'm telling you, we could, we could come together uh, for the next six months and we could meet for eight hours a day and go over and over and over the Scripture, but it'd be like trying to show a deer to a blind person. People that are blinded in their minds, they can't see their need of salvation. It does not matter who's behind the pulpit or how good and able that they are to proclaim it. He can't make blind people see it. But if they're going to see, if they're going to see the light, the illumination of the glorious gospel of God, 
there's going to have to be a work done, wouldn't you say? You know, we've got that blind man in John, the man that was born blind. For, for you to take him out in the yard and say, do you see that? He could not do it. But you know, the Lord done a work there, didn't He? The Lord gave that man his sight. And you know what you could do then? Then you could take him out and say, do you see that tree over there? He could say, yeah, I see it. You know why that he saw it? Not because I pointed it out to him, but because God had done a work. And you see, that's what's required now for people that are, that are lost people that are perishing, in order for them to see the light of the glorious gospel of the Son of God, God must do a work. But you know in, in verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. You know what man says? Man looks at Joseph. Man looks at Mike. Man looks at Greg. Just like they looked at Paul. And they say, Paul, you didn't preach it plain enough because they didn't see it. Paul, you, you didn't get it down close enough. And if, if you could do a better job, the devil ever told you that, David? If you could have done a little better explaining it, then maybe they would have seen it. If you would have, if you would have studied another hour, and if, if you would have done a, stayed up there a little longer, then maybe they would have seen it. But see, me, I can't do that. David can't do that. Paul, the apostle, could not do that without a miracle of the work of God. Paul says, I'm not preaching myself. I'm preaching the gospel. It would be bold for me to say that. But I'm not saying it. Paul says that. Paul says, it's not that I'm preaching the wrong message. I'm not up preaching in myself and I'm not trying to get them. I'm preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And yet, there's a multitude of people that are not seeing what Paul's preaching. So then, let's ask the question. If you're saved, how did you see it? If you're saved, you see. You know, Jesus said in John, I come that they which see might be made blind and that them which are blind might see. They said they had no sin. And the preaching of the gospel blinded them even further. But to them that were blind, the gospel gave sight to them. And so here, how is it that man's going to come to the place that he can see the glorious message of Jesus Christ? Verse number 6, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. So this is a callback to now, Scripture that you've heard since you were a little bitty young'un. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And there's the Spirit brooding, hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And this, listen to the meaning of this word here. Out of darkness. So out of means origin. You know where this light originated? Darkness. There was no source. There was no sun. There was no light bulb in a socket. There wasn't a flashlight. All that there was was emptiness and void and darkness. But you know, God commanded that light would shine and out of the darkness. He didn't make the sun. He made the sun a day or two later. He didn't turn on a light bulb or flip a switch. But God said and the earth was illuminated by the very Word of God. God commanded it, and it was so. Now that God, that God doesn't need a light source. If I'm going to go home and illuminate my living room, I'm either going to have to have electricity on with a bulb in the socket, or I'm going to have to have a generator plugged in, I'm going to have to have a flashlight or my phone, I'm going to have to have some means to produce the light that I can see. 
God doesn't need a means. All God has to do is speak and the thing is illuminated. It's what happened in the beginning. God commanded and the light shined. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. Do you think it's comparable? That just as God in the beginning came to an earth that was in darkness without form and void and said, let there be light and it was illuminated. He's saying it's the same thing that happened to us. If you're saved, it's, it's certainly not because you're smarter than your neighbor down the road. It's not because you were raised up better. It's not because you're somehow more godly or more righteous than somebody else. But the truth is, if we see, it's because God came to you in your darkness and in your blindness where the devil had your mind blinded and God said, let there be light and he commanded it to shine and out of nowhere, that light had never been there before. I had never been convicted of my sin before. I had never been guilty before God before. I had never been afraid of dying and going into hell before. That came out of nowhere. But it was God that said, let there be light in that man's heart. And if you see, it's because God said, let there be light in your heart. Look in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know who this is talking about? Every child of Adam that has ever been born. Yes, there's people that are saved now, but they were saved out of this. And so what you have here is you have a world that's dead, that's under the power of the prince of the power of the air, the devil. It's the same thing that we're reading in 2 Corinthians. Man is dead towards God and his nature. You know what? That word nature, that's a, that's a good word too. It's natural growth by germination. You know, if you take a Mr. Stripey tomato seed and you plant that, you know what that's going to naturally produce by germination? A Mr. Stripey tomato. Would you expect anything else to come from a Mr. Stripey seed than a Mr. Stripey tomato? That is what it naturally produces. You know what man naturally produces? Sin, rebellion, deceit, Lies, rejection towards God, fleeing from the presence of God, a desire to do that that's sinful and wrong, a desire to fulfill my will, and a desire to forsake the very Word of God. That's the natural state of man. And if you're saved, you used to be there. And if you're lost, you're still there. And so what happened to those that are saved? But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. When did this happen? This is Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse number 4. Even when we were dead in sins. Well, preacher, we, we got to doing better. And I came to God. And because I came to God, God came to me. That's most of the gospel you hear today. God's doing about 90%, but there's still 10% left that I have to do to be saved. Well, according to this, what I was actively doing was walking in sin and under the power of the devil. I was in 2 Corinthians 4. I was blinded by the devil and couldn't see the truth. And while I was blind, you see that? 
while I was blind, while I was following the devil, when, as verse 5 says, when we were dead in sins, He has quickened us together. God quickened me when I was dead in sins. Not when I repented. Not when I done better. But when I was dead in sins, He quickened me. And because He quickened me, I repented. My repentance was a result of the quickening of God. And in 2 Corinthians 4, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you've got knowledge and understanding, it's because God's illuminated your heart to the truth. And until God now, until God commands that there be light in the heart of men and women, they will never be able to see the truth. And it's not because, you know, we think, well, they're just harder than most people are. They're more stubborn. That may be true naturally. But I'm telling you, when God says, let there be light, the stubbornest and the meanest and the hardest and the most rebellious and the most wicked and the most sinful and the most moral and the most righteous, and the most holy. Even them that would look at you and say, I am so much more holier than thou. They'll all be in the altar when God says, let there be light. The problem is, they're in darkness, and they're blinded by the devil. But you know, Paul says in chapter 2, He says, we're unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that are perished. The gospel is doing its work in them that are saved and in them that are perishing. God's accomplishing and working according to His will. In verse number 7, and we'll hush. I've been a very long time and I apologize for that. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Excellency of the power. It's wonderful, isn't it? We have this treasure. What do you think about treasure? The word means a deposit of wealth. You know what I've got in this earthen vessel, in this outward man? God came. Well, see, I, I dug up that treasure. That's what man would like to say. I, I found that treasure and I dug it up and I deposited. I don't believe that's what he's saying, do you? No, God deposited this treasure in me. God gave me this treasure. What is this treasure? The Holy Ghost of God. God has chosen to put deposit this treasure in the lives of men and women that have come to Jesus Christ. And you know why God's depositing it? Now, if it's something that I've done, then I can say I've done it. And I can get glory for the fact that I've done it. I can remodel my bathroom. And when you come over, I can say, come and look at what I've done. And I can boast in my handiwork. I can remodel uh, the living room. And I can say, "Come, come look at what I did. And I can glory in the work that I've done. But you know what God's doing now? God's doing a work that that I can't glory in. It's not something that I have naturally. God's given me something that I did not have. God's deposited His wealth and His Spirit in me and the excellency of the power. That word means the throwing beyond or preeminence. I tell you, a power that's so far beyond the power that I have. You know the truth, I had no power to do better. And you know why I had no power to do better? I had absolutely no desire to do any better. My desire was, I want to get away. If I can pretend to be sick, or if I can come up with an excuse, or if I could just have to work this evening, wouldn't have to go to church. I could do what I wanted. That, that's the way I was. I had no, no willpower. You ever heard that word? You've got to have willpower. Boy, I had no willpower. 
when it came to my service to God. I couldn't do better. But God's put a deposit in me of His power and of His grace. And do you know who gets the glory of it? I mean, the power of this salvation is so far beyond my power. It's like John says in Little John. John says, greater is He that's within me than Him that's within the world. God's deposited power in them that are saved that's greater than they are, that overcomes them, that like the leaven that works through the entire lump of dough, this kingdom of God takes over every facet of a man's life and makes a totally new creature out of them. And when the world looks and says, why, he's different than when I knew him. That's not, the, that's not the same person that I knew years ago. You know who's going to get the glory for that? God's done that work. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Boy, this, this work, that word of us, same word as what we saw earlier, to originate origin. This salvation did not originate in me. It originated in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. And it was executed through the Son of God coming to this earth and it was applied to me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. And the excellency of this power, it didn't originate in me, but this is the work of God. And so many, so many are missing a genuine work of God, a genuine salvation, a genuine change of life and nature, and they think they're going to heaven. And we say, how could that be? How can they not see it? The answer is they're blind and they can't see it except God open their eyes. That's all that's on our heart. I do apologize for being long. I realize 